go to the Lord in prayer. Father, we thank you that we can come <clears throat> boldly to a throne that is saturated with your grace in the person of Jesus Christ. We also come humbly, knowing that without your grace, without the person of your Son who loved us and gave himself for us, we would be without hope in this world. We would be aliens, as Paul wrote in the book of Ephesians, to the commonwealth of Israel and strangers to you. We thank you that you have reconciled us by the shed blood of your Son, and we thank you and praise you this evening. <clears throat> we lift these up to you tonight. We ask that uh, you'd abide to be with the families that uh, have lost loved ones. We remember those in uh, Kentucky. Uh, and obviously, Father, many of us recall many years ago when Hurricane Camille swept through this area and the loss of life. We do pray for those families. Uh, uh, we pray that you would uh, comfort their hearts. And perhaps for those that don't know you as Savior, this is an opportunity to call out to you and to claim you as Lord and Savior. We do pray for our children and our students this evening as they're studying the Word of God. And likewise, Lord, as we look at this great chapter here, <clears throat> open our hearts and minds to what we're about to learn. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Okay, <clears throat> so the last time that we met, we read the entire chapter uh, and started to look at some of the background in chapter 3. We are in the, the second portion of <clears throat> the outline for the book. And it runs from verse 1 of chapter 3 to the end of chapter 4. Yahweh chooses <clears throat> and calls his deliverer. So I want, to, I want to read the first four verses this evening and start to look at how this breaks down. Remember that uh, the third chapter of the book of Exodus is uh, one of the uh, more important, not that in, it's more important than perhaps Judges chapter 3, but the emphasis that we see here is important because <clears throat> we are seeing for the first time and hearing for the first time the great revelation of Yahweh to his covenant people. Now, he had appeared a number of times. In fact, if we, depending on how long it takes this evening, we'll, we'll see some of that unfold. <clears throat> but uh, no other chapter in the Old Testament, with the, with the possible exception of Isaiah chapter 6, do we see this unfolding of the, the nature and the character of God. And the important thing to remember, a lot of important uh, bullet points, if you please, but this is made to one man. This is not made to the nation. It's made to one man. And so God had set aside Moses. We talked about all the preparation in bringing him to this particular point in time. The other thing to keep in mind, too, is that Moses is now 80 years of age. <clears throat> and he thought that he and his, his uh, having to do with God was pretty much behind him. So that teaches us something about how the Lord Jesus works in our life. Verse 1, Now Moses was tending the flock of Jethro, his father-in-law, the priest of Midian. 
And he led the flock to the back of the desert and came to Horeb, the mountain of God. And the angel of the Lord appeared to him in a flame of fire from the midst of a bush. So he looked, and behold, the bush was burning with fire, but the bush was not consumed. Then Moses said, I will now turn aside and see this great sight, why the bush does not burn. So when the Lord saw that he turned aside to look, God called to him from the midst of the bush and said, Moses, Moses. And he said, here I am. So something very unique is taking place here. <clears throat> it's in a secluded area. It's private. Uh, we talked uh, the last time we met about Moses being <clears throat> uh, uh, tending to the flocks of his, uh, of his father-in-law, and they were large, so he had traveled a uh, uh, a fair amount from Midian over to where Horeb is located, which is in the almost in the crevice of the point uh, that we call the Sinai Peninsula today. <clears throat> so Moses is writing this. He's recalling all of this now. Probably just before they went into Kadesh Barnea in the book of Deuteronomy. And so <clears throat> he's recalling this. The Spirit of God is giving him insight and he wants us to understand that this is a very unique incident. And had it not been for his record of this, through the inspiration of the Spirit of God, we wouldn't know about it. So the Lord moved on him to write. And it says he led the flock, verse 1, to the backside of the desert, or to the back of the desert. And so the assumption is, uh, and deserts uh, all over the world. Sometimes they're all sand. Sometimes they're some sand. Sometimes they're dirt. Sometimes they have a <clears throat> very minimal type of uh, vegetation. But uh, in this particular place, there was some vegetation, and we know that because of the fire that burns and is not consumed. Uh, he came to Horeb, and Horeb is the uh, Midianite reference of Mount Sinai, and Sinai became the Hebrew reference to where God gave the law. So this is, this is important as well. Not only does God uh, appear, Yahweh appear to him uh, at this particular point in time, but a mm, few years down the road, not a lot, but a few years down the road, he is back in the same place, this time with well over a million Israelites, and he's receiving the Mosaic Covenant. Um, so he, uh, excuse me, Horeb is the, is the Hebrew name, and um, Sinai is the um, Midian name, Midianite name. So he comes to this mountain, and we've seen this, uh, I think we've, uh, we'll look at a couple of references here this evening. Turn to uh, chapter 19. We'll see and hear about it quite a bit over the uh, next three or four books. Verse 10 of chapter 19, the Lord said to Moses, go to the people and consecrate them today and tomorrow and let them wash their clothes. Set them aside. Make them, um, basically this would be the, a New Testament uh, or a reference to New Testament sanctification. 
They need to be clean. Something important is going to happen. And let them be ready for the third day, for on the third day the Lord will come down upon Mount Sinai in the sight of all the people. And then he says, gives instructions, you shall set bounds for the people. Take heed to yourselves that you do not go up to the mountain or touch its base. Whoever touches the mountain shall surely be put to death. So interesting that the Lord reminds Moses of this in chapter 19. He doesn't obviously take Moses' life, although he appears to Moses at this particular point in time. Turn to Deuteronomy chapter 4. And this is a reiteration of the law. Moses, uh, the book of Deuteronomy can be also called the second giving of the law. Uh, A reminder, uh, more or less. Uh, Verse 9, only take heed to yourself and diligently keep yourself, lest you forget the things your eyes have seen, unless they depart from your heart all the days of your life. Teach them to your children and your grandchildren, especially concerning the day you stood before the Lord your God in Horeb, when the Lord said to me, Gather the people to me, and I will let them hear my words, that they may learn to fear me all the days that they live on the earth, and that they may teach their children. Now that's just a couple of references that's found uh, scattered throughout these uh, next four books in the Pentateuch. So, it talks about Jethro, and we had, we had uh, been introduced to Jethro in verse 18. His name there is Ruiel, uh, but uh, the, the thought here uh, is that Moses in his r- recording or remembering uh, changed his name to Jethro. Uh, we don't know the origin of that particular name, but it means uh, it's uh, one with abundance or superiority. And Moses honored his father-in-law. We'll see that as we go through uh, the, uh, the book a number of times. He reverenced him, so he respected him. Very important there. Uh, so he calls Horeb the mountain of God. Look at chapter 4. It is still called that today, by the way. <clears throat> chapter 4 and verse 27 and the Lord said to Aaron, there we begin to learn of Moses' brother. So they've come together by this time. Moses is back in Egypt. Go into the wilderness to meet Moses. So we went and um, met him on the mountain of God and kissed him. So by this time, Moses had uh, left with his family and made his journey at least to the mountain of God, stayed there. And... Uh, Aaron goes out to meet him. This was taking place during this uh, particular time. And there are other references too, chapter 18 and chapter 24. uh, And Moses remembers these and records them so that uh, the Hebrew children and you and I would know what's taking place. So a very pivotal, pivotal chapter. It's referenced a number of times throughout uh, these first five books. And throughout the remainder of the uh, Old Testament. Next slide, if you would, brother. So Moses is doing the Moses thing. He's doing the shepherd thing. He's watching his flock. He's he's being obedient. 
uh, to and uh, obviously in support of uh, his father-in-law and his his family and the extended uh, clan that was there. Um, and something attracts him. And this is you've seen you've probably seen movies and so forth of this thing or some images and. So usually it's uh, Moses is right up on the bush and the bush burst into flame and he jumps back and says, oh my, what's this? But the scripture gives an indication that he sees this thing from afar off, from, from some distance. And <clears throat> we are not told this occurred at night. We don't, Moses doesn't say, and this was probably during the, uh, during the day. So when this occurs, the light is bright enough to uh, overtake the sunshine in the desert. So, and we'll look at lights here in just a moment, talk about the burning and whatnot. So what is occurring is that God is making his presence known. He speaks to Moses out of the bush. God doesn't, I mean, Moses is not seeing an image. This is a unique type of Theophany, in other words, God revealing Himself on earth. There's no human form here, so the Lord is speaking through the fire, and that's important. So He sees this probably from afar off. It attracts Him, and He says, "Okay, verse two says the angel of the Lord appeared to him in a flame of fire." So, from our understanding of this, there was no physical being that took place. So the conversation goes back and forth with a spirit being, and that's who the Lord is. Um, the bush, he turns aside, I'm going to see this thing, and the bush obviously is, uh, does not necessarily mean one single shrub, like a uh, large uh, boxwood or something like that. doesn't mean that at all. In the desert, there can be clumps of bushes, and there, there are certain types if you Google the bush in the desert. Uh, you'll get uh, a number of different species of, that are listed because we don't know. We don't know what type it was, but we do know that whatever took place, it was large enough to uh, attract um, Moses. It's thought, and I've got in the notes there, it implies that some cluster of the dry thorny acacias, which are uh, prevalent in the desert in and about Sinai, and uh, the characteristic of the country, the interesting thing here is he's, the, he has sheep, and sheep are very much like goats. They'll eat just about anything, and so they're hungry, and they're eating this uh, particular, uh, in this particular region. So, again, because of the dryness of the desert, we see the fires, we hear about this quite often, fires and California, fires in Australia, fires in Montana, fires in New Mexico. <clears throat> we were in Yosemite a number of years ago, and, and then uh, one of the fires, I think it's called the Oak Fire, has been prevalent in the um, national park there in Yosemite. In fact, they've um, done as much as they could, and I think they've done a fair job to protect the giant sequoias that are in, um, in the park there. So when it is hot and arid and a fire uh, is uh, started, it consumes rapidly and it leaves nothing but ashes behind. But that's not the case here. 
So that in and of itself is a miracle and, uh, and important as we'll see. <clears throat> what takes place is the light shines. Moses is attracted. It's shiny. People are attracted to shiny things, even men. Uh, we're not sure how far he was from the, um, uh, from the fire, but it was on the mountain, and he came there. Uh, it doesn't say he's up on the mountain yet, but he does move toward the mountain. So the fire did attract him. He's going to see what's taking place, and this is, this is a common thing. I don't want the fire to get out of control. I don't want it to burn the flock up. I don't want it to impact the, the, uh, the family, so to speak. Uh, wealth is involved in flocks. So Moses is, understands this, and so he goes to see what's, what's uh, taking place. Now, it's important to remember, we, we focus a great deal, and we should focus a great deal, because God reveals himself by uh, his testimony in verse 14. I am that I am. But the fact that God is speaking through fire is likewise important because fire in Scripture is distinctly a divine symbol. It's a symbol of God. It can be a symbol of judgment, but not always. Now, we think of it that way, but not always. And in this case, it's not a symbol of judgment. So turn back to chapter to Genesis chapter 15. So chapter 15 is the record of uh, the covenant that God made with Abraham or Abram at that time. And look at verse 17. <clears throat> God had caused um, Abram to fall asleep and uh, he makes the covenant. The covenant that God's, God makes with people is always unilateral. God says, I'm going to do this. And since it's unilateral and since it's set by Yahweh, it doesn't change. Um, so he says to Abram in verse 13, Know certainly that your descendants will be strangers in a land that is not theirs and will serve them and they will afflict them 400 years. Well, this is what's taking place now in the first couple of two or three chapters here in Exodus. So this prophecy that the Lord makes. Verse 17, And it came to pass when the sun went down and it was dark, that behold, there appeared a smoking oven and a burning torch that passed between those pieces. The, the uh, slaughtering of a, um, of a bull. On the same day, on, uh, the Lord made a covenant with Abram, saying, and then he talks about all of the um, blessings that he's going to bestow upon his progeny. So the Lord made a covenant with Abram in a similar manner that he is revealing himself here to Moses. And this is not a, a judgment fire as he appears to Abram, and neither is, is it a judgment fire as he appears to Moses. This is just part of the presence uh, of the Lord that is there. 
Next slide, if you would, brother. So let's look at a few references of, uh, of the fire so that we understand uh, the, uh, the analogy of fire, Yahweh, fire, God. And so we learn, turn to Exodus chapter 13. So what starts here before Moses, the Lord carries with uh, Moses, presents himself to Moses and the Hebrew children in this fashion. Look at chapter 13. And verse 20, so they took their journey from Succoth and camped in Etham at the edge of the wilderness. And the Lord went before them by day in a pillar of cloud to lead the way, and by night in a pillar of fire to give them light so as to go by day and night. He did not take away the pillar of cloud by day or the pillar of fire by night from before the people. So again, this was not judgment. This was uh, something, uh, a divine attribute of of protection for his people. Uh, turn to uh, Isaiah chapter 10. Verse 16, <clears throat> therefore the Lord, the Lord of hosts, will send leanness among his fat ones, and under his glory he will kindle a burning like the burning of a fire. So the light of Israel will be for fire, and his holy one for flame. It will burn and devour his thorns and his briars in one day, and it will consume the glory of his forest and of his fruitful field, both soul and body, and they will be as when sick men waste away. The rest of the trees of, uh, of his forest will be so few in number that a child may write them. So here we have uh, a reference to the, uh, actually it has to do with the, the judgment of Assyria, but also we see the light of Israel. So that's talking about, and he says the light of Israel will be a fire. His holy one obviously is a reference to Jesus Christ for flame. Here, the fire is one that is for judgment to the nation of Assyria. Go to Matthew chapter 3. Let's look at a couple of references here in the New Testament. Matthew chapter 3. And there are, there are many others in the Old Testament. There's just a few that we selected. John the Baptist preaching and <clears throat> he uses a reference there in verse um, 11 uh, verse 10 and even now the axe is laid to the root of the trees therefore every tree which does not bear good fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire I indeed baptize you with water unto repentance but he who is coming after me is mightier than I whose sandals I am not worthy to carry, he will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and fire. So in verse 10, we have a reference to 
the judgment of God, and yet in verse 11, we have a reference to the Spirit of God. Uh, so, um, he talks about unquenchable fire there, John the Baptist does in verse 12. Turn to Acts chapter 2. This is perhaps the most uh, known reference to fires in the New Testament. The Lord had told his disciples, as Vance was teaching this morning, the disciples were always looking for more instruction from Jesus, so they go across the river to meet him, and then, of course, they forget to take bread, and the Lord teaches them. It's a teaching moment, so to speak. But in chapter 2, in chapter 1, he says, wait for the coming of the Spirit of God. And in chapter 2, when the day of Pentecost had fully come, they were all with one accord in one place, and suddenly there came a sound from heaven as a rushing, rushing, rather, mighty wind, and it filled the whole house where they were sitting. Then there appeared to them divided tongues as of fire, and one sat upon each of them, and they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak with other tongues as the Spirit gave them utterance. So the Spirit of God descends on them. There's wind. There's uh, tongues, cloven tongues, or tongues that are swollen with languages to proclaim, basically, the gospel of Jesus Christ. Of course, Peter uses this and begins, begins to preach. And we learn later on that uh, if you drop down in verse 7, it says that the languages are what's taking place, the tongues, are the ability to speak previously unlearned human languages. So this is a, a miracle. These are not angelic languages. Uh, there's no record in Scripture of any particular angelic language. God doesn't need language. He, he can communicate through His Spirit, but He speaks to us in language. Again, God has no needs. Remember that. No needs. And that would include language. But you and I do. We need it. So that is there, and then turn to Hebrews chapter 12. <clears throat> At the completion of this great chapter in verse 28, Therefore, since we are receiving a kingdom which cannot be shaken, let us have grace by which we may serve God acceptably with reverence and godly fear, for our God is a consuming fire. And it's interesting because what we see in chapter 3 of Exodus is that God is present but doesn't consume. And here, the writer of the book of Hebrews says that God does consume. And it, that carries with it the the indication that there's punishment that goes along with uh, disobedience to uh, the commands of the, of the Lord. So, just a couple of things. We'll, we'll close with, with this slide this evening. But fire in Scripture, and we've seen some references in the Old Testament, but fire in Scripture, other than judgment, obviously there are times that it's much, uh, used as uh, uh, judgment, source of judgment. Used mostly to indicate cleansing. Remember, we've been preaching about holiness in um, in First Peter, and in he in Isaiah six, it talks about uh, the smoke that went up in the uh, 
around the, the throne of God. So usually where there's smoke, there's fire. And so that's some of the indications. So it means or it can mean a cleansing. And really this is pretty much what's taking place in Moses' life. He doesn't understand it yet, but he will. Uh, fire also can be uh, a source of life, especially in a forest that's burned. It's interesting that uh, because of the, the uh, natural processes that the Lord has placed uh, on this earth that over time they uh, regenerate. The seedlings and so forth can regenerate and forests can grow again. It's a source of light, obviously. I am the light of the world. We just read about that in Isaiah chapter 10. It's a source of warmth. Now, not all deserts are hot. There are some deserts. Antarctica is a desert, and it certainly is not hot. So fire, in and of itself, uh, generates warmth. It also brings about change, and that's another thing that's taking place in Moses' life. <laughs> He's going to change. Uh, it's an indication of glory. We read about that in... Um, in the book of Exodus, we read about it also in the book of Isaiah. Uh, it's transmuting. It is, uh, it transforms things. We talk, again, this goes back to the, to the cleansing and the source of life. It purifies. Uh, almost all metals are heated in order that they, uh, that you drive out the impurities mix particular alloys with it, take it through processes, the science of metallurgy and so forth, and that doesn't occur without heat, heat and pressure. Uh, and then, of course, it uh, refines, purifies and refines, as gold is refined in the fire. And we'll be back in First Peter where it talks about we're not uh, redeemed with perishable things that are refined like this. So in summary of this, the Bible consecrates fire as a symbol to make us think of the Lord as the central fiery spirit of the whole universe. The sun gives light. It is, produces fires, hydrogen. Actually, it's uh, thermonuclear, millions upon millions of thermonuclear explosions every single second and minute. But it produces light. It produces life. It produces warmth. It produces change. And it's a reference to, in fact, one of the first gods that uh, Moses will encounter in Egypt, and of course he knew about this, was the sun god, Ra. And so they worshiped them. And so God is here, Yahweh is here, standing before Moses and he's going to commission him to do something Moses doesn't want to do. Does that sound familiar? To do something Moses doesn't want to do. So, any comments or questions this evening? <clears throat> Let's pray. Father, we thank you this evening for your son, the Lord Jesus. We thank you for this great chapter. We thank you for the obedience of Moses in recording these events, knowing that 
here we are thousands of years later, we're looking back and we're, we're trying to piece all of these circumstances together so that we understand them better. But the situation, obviously, Lord, is that you are revealing yourself to him as a mighty fire, as one that doesn't consume, as one that is everlasting. And so we pray that we take this truth with us this evening as we depart this place. Keep us safe this coming week. In Jesus' name we pray.